0: In the last years of the 14th century BCE, northern affairs were being watched from the timeless throne of Egypt. As Canaanites busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinised as a falcon studies prey that pauses for a drink of water. And across the land of Syria, empires vast, cool, and unsympathetic regarded small kingdoms with envious eyes, and slowly, but surely, they drew their plans against them. The year was 1334 BCE, approximately. In Egypt a man named Ai sat upon the throne. The new king faced several challenges, particularly diplomacy and foreign affairs. In the north, the lands of Canaan and Syria were in turmoil. Great empires, like the Mitanni, had crumbled, and a new power, the kingdom of Hatti, had surged onto the scene. For the smaller states, the cities and minor kingdoms, these imperial conflicts were a source of great suffering if this story had a villain quote unquote, "it would be the king of Hatti Suppiluliuma first of his name had taken Hatti from a minor regional power to an unstoppable force under his leadership Hittite armies had besieged plundered and humbled many communities for 20 years and more Suppiluliuma had been victorious but now conflicts were expanding. Recently, the Egyptian pharaoh had dispatched an army to the north. The army was strong, and it attacked the land of Kadesh. Kadesh was a border territory, marking the limits of Egyptian and Hittite influence. Naturally, the two empires squabbled over this land. Not long after the Egyptians raided Kadesh, the Hittites retaliated, King Subaluliuma dispatched warriors to attack nearby lands, and avenge the Egyptian assault. His army did not go to Kadesh. Instead, the Hittites went to a place called Amka. Amka, or Amki, is a part of modern-day Lebanon, specifically the Bekar Valley. It is a prosperous area, and for thousands of years, it has been a centre for agriculture, industry, and settlement. Amka was attractive territory. Naturally, the Hittites wanted a peace. In retaliation for Egypt's raid on Kadesh, Subaluliumar sent warriors against Amka. He dispatched two generals into the region, and they plundered this land. According to Hittite records, the event went as follows. While Subaluliumar was in the country of Karkemish, he sent the generals Lupaki and Tarhunta Zalma. They went forth into the country of Amka. The generals attacked it and brought captives, cattle and sheep back to Superluliumar. And when the people of Egypt heard of the attack, they were afraid. Hettite warriors plundered Amka in modern-day Lebanon. They took captives, herded up animals and took them away. This may not sound important, these kind of attacks happen all the time, but this was a huge act of aggression, and it had significant consequences. Superluliumar's attack was successful in a military sense, but politically, or symbolically, he may have gone too far. You see, Amka was not neutral territory, it was not fair game for the empires to play with. Officially, Amka belonged to the Egyptians, it was under their protection, and the Hittites had agreed to respect that. Decades earlier, a king of Hatti had made a treaty with an Egyptian pharaoh. That treaty had some clear rules and boundaries, and one of those rules concerned the land of Amka. Apparently, the treaty between Egypt and Hatti was clear. Amka gave obedience to the pharaoh, and he protected it. This was not just a promise, it was an oath. The Hittites had agreed before the gods to respect Amka's sovereignty. In fact, our sources say that the storm god of Hatti had bound the Egyptians and Hittites under this oath. So the treaty was sacred. Superluliuma had violated divine law. You may be wondering, why could Egypt attack Kadesh, but Hatti could not attack Amka? The simple answer is the treaty. As far as we can tell, there was no agreement or oath regarding Kadesh. Technically, that city was fair game. But Amka was part of the treaty, so the rules were harsher. Either side might attack or influence Kadesh or any other kingdom, but Amka was off-limits. Nevertheless, Subaluliuma sent warriors to the land of Amka. They raided the territory, plundering its towns and harming its people. By doing this, Supaluliuma violated the treaty, the sacred oath made by his ancestors. The attack on Amka was a crime, and the great king of Hatti was responsible. Now, the gods themselves watched him in anger. Supaluliuma's army was victorious in Amka, but his deeds rapidly came back to haunt him. You see, as the Hittite warriors battled with local and Egyptian soldiers, they took many prisoners. Unfortunately, some of those prisoners were sick. The Hittite army met its match in a plague. A disease active in Canaan infected the troops. And as soldiers returned to their homes, i.e. came back to Hatti, a pandemic took hold. Soon, Hatti was suffering from a plague, that would last 20 years. We have a strong record for this plague. Texts written by a later generation describe the moments in which the disease took hold. And from these texts, it is clear that the plague started with Amka. The attack on that region brought the disease to Hatti. And so, this plague might have seemed like a divine punishment. Having violated a treaty, Perhaps the Hittites were getting what they deserved. Ironically, the man who orchestrated the invasion, King Subaluliuma, may have been one of the plague's victims. A few years after his attack, the great king of Hatti died. The all-conquering hero breathed his last. Subaluliuma was gone. The cause of death is unknown, but disease or plague seems quite likely in the context. For the ancients, Superluliuma's death was easy to explain. They saw it as a punishment from the gods. Years later, Superluliuma's son composed a prayer. He sent a message to the deities asking for their help. And in this letter, which survives, we learn about the plague, how it came about, and the responsibility of Superluliuma. The prayer said, quote, O storm god of Hati, my lord, O gods, my lords, what is this that you have done? You have allowed a plague into Hatti, and Hatti has been terribly oppressed by it. People kept dying in the time of my father, Superluliuma, in the time of my brother, and they keep on dying in my time as well. Will this plague never be removed? The matter of the plague troubled me, and I asked an oracle about it. As a result, I discovered two tablets. One tablet concerned a ritual that we have not performed lately. The other tablet concerned a treaty between Egypt and the men of Hatti. End quote. Many years after the death of Superluliuma, his son asked the gods for help. In the course of his investigation, the son learned of a treaty that existed between Egypt and Hatti. Can you guess where this is going? Yeah. Quote The second tablet dealt with a treaty between the Egyptians and the men of Hati, so that all of them were put under oath by the storm god of Hati. But the men of Hati got the upper hand, and they transgressed the oath of the gods. My father, Subaliliuma, sent foot soldiers and chariots, and they attacked the borderland of Egypt, the land of Amka. The storm god of Hati, my lord, Caused Subaluliuma to prevail, and he defeated the foot soldiers and chariots of Egypt. But when the prisoners were led back to Hatti, a plague broke out among them, and they, the captives, began to die. When the prisoners were carried off to Hatti, they brought the plague into this land. From that day since, people have been dying in Hatti. End quote. According to this prayer, Supaluliuma's wars finally brought ruin to his kingdom. When they took captives from Amka, the Hittites brought plague into their land. The epidemic took hold and raged for more than 20 years. Yikes. Supaluliuma, great king of the land of Hatti, was dead. He had ruled for 28 years, give or take. And in his time, the kingdom had grown mighty indeed. Depending on your point of view, Superluliuma might be the greatest of all Hittite rulers. In his reign, the people of Hatti and their allies, dominated their neighbours, gathered tribute, and created an enduring legacy. Later generations would look back on Superluliuma as an example, the great king par excellence. Fair enough. Whatever your metric, this period was significant for the society, politics, diplomacy, and military achievements of the Hittite kingdom. I only wish I could explore it in greater depth and detail. Alas, it is time to move on. After the break, we return to Egypt, or rather, we return to the Egyptians. It is time to check in with the pharaoh's general the man who may have led campaigns and initiatives against Suboluliuma. The military officer, Heb left a record of his wars and conflicts. And from his monuments, we get an idea of Egypt's military machine. That is chapter 2. See you in a moment. In the late 14th century, conflicts burned throughout Canaan and Assyria. The Egyptians attacked Kadesh, the Hittites attacked Amka. And through it all, warriors and warlords moved through the region. Today, most of these people are anonymous. But we do know one man who was prominent in these events. At this point, it is time we checked in with a famous royal official, an Egyptian leader, commander of armies. The General of Generals, Hor-em-Heb. hor heb was Egypt's most prominent military official. Among his many titles, he carried epithets like Overseer of the Overseers of the Army, or General of Generals, Deputy of the King, Royal Envoy at the head of his troops at the southern and northern lands, one who accompanied his lord on the day of smiting the foreigners, basically Horemheb was the supreme commander. We have met him before when, on behalf of Tutankhamun, Horemheb led campaigns in the north. Well, it's time to dive a bit deeper into that. As the northern conflicts heated up, the Egyptian army moved through Canaan. We have already seen their offensive against Kadesh and the Hittite response. These incidents, bloody and horrible for the locals, are small chapters in the larger royal history. Unfortunately, our records are fragmentary here, so we don't have a solid narrative or chronology. But we do have some hints about what was happening, and the people involved. And Horamheb seems to be prominent. In the early 2000s, a Hittite scholar named Jared Miller was able to reconstruct fragments of a Hittite text. The text is undated, so we don't know exactly when it was written. Miller has his ideas, but overall it is still vague. What we do know is that this text concerns conflicts and disputes in the regions of Canaan and Syria, and it involves a man who could be Horemheb. One part that is noteworthy is a reference to a man named Armaya. Armaya seems to be an Egyptian leader of some sort, and he acts on behalf of the pharaoh in a military capacity. It is possible that Armaya is the general Hor M. Heb. When you write them out, these two names look very different. But it's possible that Armaya is closer to the actual pronunciation. Egyptologists and historians tend to write these names how they are spelled in the texts. But the actual pronunciation of these words can vary, especially during this period. The Egyptian language changed and evolved over time and it's quite possible that Armaya is close to the actual pronunciation of Horemheb. We've seen this before quite recently. The princess Merit-Aten is called Mayati in a foreign letter, and it's quite likely that the name Akhenaten, the pharaoh, was actually pronounced Akanyati. So you get the idea. These names vary between how they're written and how they may have sounded. With that in mind, it is possible that Armaya is actually Horemheb. If that is true, then this text gives indications of Horemheb's activities in the north. For example, we hear about an incident in which Horemheb, or Armaya, launched an attack on a foreign territory. The text says, quote, When somebody sat upon the throne of kingship, Armaya began to take vengeance upon Amuru, and he sent troops and chariots to the land of Amuru to attack them. Amuru is a kingdom that needs no introduction. In northern Canaan or southern Syria, Amru was a prominent part of the Egyptian Empire. At least it used to be. Recently Amru had gone rogue, and eventually the lords of Amru had switched sides and given their allegiance to the king of Hatti. Well, apparently, Armaya or Horemheb, launched an attack on Amaru. He took revenge upon this kingdom. We don't know when this attack happened, exactly, but it could have been the reign of Tutankhamun or the reign of Ai. Either date would fit. You see, the text indicates that Armaya or Horemheb, is acting on behalf of a pharaoh. And yet, he seems to act with a great deal of authority. In these fragments, we hear about Armaya, Horamheb making deals with local rulers. Kings of small territories might break away from one empire and switch sides to another. And we hear about Horamheb's involvement in one of these situations. The Hittite author, whoever he was, describes a situation in which one of his vassals defected to the Egyptian side. Responding to this betrayal, the Hittite leader wrote a letter to Armaya, saying, give my servant back to me. But apparently, Armaya did not give this leader back. In fact, he did not even reply to the Hittite letter. Which sounds kind of rude, but I guess this was conflict? Ironically, the same situation came up later, only in reverse. A vassal of Egypt defected to the Hittite side, and according to this Hittite text, the general Armaya wrote a letter saying, Hey, give my servant back to me. But of course, the Hittite leader had the last word. He responded to Armaya, saying, Why should I give this servant back to you? You did not give my servant back to me. And apparently, Armaya was totally silent. It's the ancient equivalent of a mic drop. The crowd goes wild, the Hittite leader smirks, and some guy passes in front of the camera, screaming with excitement. As I said, this text is terribly damaged and fragmentary. There is a lot of reconstruction going on here, and a great deal of educated guesswork. But the basic story overall seems to be reasonably clear. A Hittite leader, currently anonymous, was involved in politics in Syria and Canaan, and he faced off against a man called Armaya. Armaya led Egyptian troops and chariots, and he orchestrated Egyptian strategy. These two men, Armaya and the Hittite, went back and forth in their victories. Naturally, because it's a Hittite text, the Hittites came out on top, and Armaya and his soldiers fled before their power. We must take this record on face value it seems to be a reasonably detailed account of what was happening. Obviously, there is probably a lot of context and other events that are missing here, and the text itself is only part of the story. But at the very least, we can say that around this time, the Egyptian general Armaya faced off against Hittite opponents. There was conflict and political machinations, Local leaders defected, switching sides regularly. And through all of it, the Egyptians and the Hittites were hostile to one another. The Egyptians and Hittites were not having an all-out war just yet. But it was an age of conflict. Egyptian and Hittite armies raided distant territories. They attacked small kingdoms and cities. And vassals caught between the two empires were quick to change allegiances if they thought it was necessary. Thanks to the work of talented scholars, we are getting more information about these events. And the more we learn, the more these warlords like Subaluliuma and Horemheb loom large over the conflict. Their deeds are fragmentary today, but the picture is evolving. And the more we learn, the more insight we gain to an ancient world at war. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. If you are enjoying the show, consider giving it a rating or review. You can do this directly in app, particularly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. Or if you would like something more personal, consider telling a friend about the podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to discover new shows. So if somebody you know likes history, consider introducing them to the wonders of ancient Egypt. To everyone who has reviewed or rated the show, my thanks to you. Onwards to the next chapter. Howdy folks, Dominic here, with a small epilogue. Earlier, I discussed a text from Hatti that presents an argument between the Hittites and an Egyptian leader. In this episode, I have presented that text as a disagreement between Hatti and Horemheb. But in the interests of completeness, I should note some academic disagreement. Jared Miller, who reconstructed this text, has presented his arguments, but other scholars have different views. Some historians studying the text argue that Armaya isn't a foreign version of Horemheb. In their analysis, it is unlikely that the H sound, the H at the start of his name, would drop off so easily. I don't pretend to understand the nuances of Hittite language, but their point is clear enough. Although Armaya seems like a possible version of Horemheb, this opinion is not universal. That raises the question, if Armaya is not Horemheb, then who could it be? Well, there is one candidate, whom I will introduce a bit later. But another scholar has an alternative. Dr. Karen Bryson who studied Horemheb for her PhD dissertation, gave a possible interpretation. Bryson suggested, tentatively, that Armaya could actually be the Hittite version of a title. The title is Iri Ma'at. What does that mean? Well, Iri Ma'at, or One Who Creates Ma'at, is an epithet, or title, of King Ai. As part of his royal identity, Ai called himself Keper Keperu Ra Iri Ma'at It is possible that the Hittites rendered Iri Ma'at as Armaya. They may have called King Ai Iri Ma'at at his own request, or perhaps they had trouble with his full name. The full title, Keper Keperu Ra, may have been difficult to render into the Hittite language. To be clear, it is not a firm conclusion by any means but Dr Bryson raises an intriguing possibility. If Armaya is not Horemheb, but rather King I, then we have another perspective on this conflict. Unfortunately, it's all quite vague. The evidence is slim, it's fragmentary, and what survives is debatable. Scholars will probably be arguing these points for years to come. If a consensus ever emerges, I will update this chapter. But for now, it is what it is. So the conflict in Canaan and Syria went back and forth. It is possible that Horemheb, supreme commander of Pharaoh's armies, dealt with some of those issues, and he may have got into arguments with a Hittite leader. Alternatively, these arguments may have come from I, Iri Ma'at, the king of Egypt, or it could be a third individual, who we'll talk about later. Whoever it was, it seems quite likely that the reign of Ai was a time of conflict and argument with Hatti. As more evidence emerges, this chapter becomes more and more fascinating.